Nick at Night is a production of Council Communications. Well, you know what that sound means. It's time for another edition of the Nick at Night Show right here on your laptop, on your computer. However you want to listen is fine with me. I am not, by the way, oh, I got one more little thing to do, and that's right there. That cuts out the echo. There we go. All right. Well, I really did try to get the uh, phone thing figured out so that we could take phones, uh, phone calls off of Facebook. That'll come. We'll get that. Uh, we were really close tonight. There was just... It just wasn't working quite right, and it's one little, you know, call it a tick box or whatever. But we'll have that sorted out because I really want uh, both crowds, those of you on Facebook and those of you online, to be able to both contribute evenly, right? That's the whole point. Anyway, uh, there's plenty of things. Nice antlers, yeah. (laughs) I have no idea what he meant by that. Anyway, um, so it just shows you I am watching what you post as comments. I can see it, so... (laughs) All right. Now, there has been a lot of talk. Let me start with this. Well, first of all, the numbers are 343-700-4390-844-562-4766. And if you're on Facebook and you want to just call that number, you can certainly do that. It'll show up over here online. Um, If you're online, you can, of course, use that number as well. And you can also make comments here on Facebook and that kind of thing. So we can stay in touch a bunch of different ways. Move the mouse because it's in my way. All right. Anyway, um, a lot of people over the last, let's, ever since this whole Patrick Brown thing went south, I mean, I don't care. You know, people often say, well, we got to vote for this guy or that guy because, you know, we got to get rid of so-and-so. Yeah, that's true, except, like, let me put it to you this way. My conservatism is of the small C variety. I have certain things that I believe in, and I look for parties to vote for that most closely resemble what I believe in. Well, that used to be, in the case of the provincial party, uh, the conservatives or the Tories here in Ontario. But since Patrick Brown has taken over, they have abandoned everything that I believe in. They've basically thrown people like me, social conservatives, under the bus. And there's been a lot of frustration and a lot of anger over that. So for the last while, there have been people hard at work all over this province putting together the foundation of a new political party that is a real solid right-wing party. Now, they're in the final stages. There is a growing movement across this province. 
what I would highly recommend you do if you like that kind of thing, if you want to see that, even if you don't, if you're not a right winger yourself, but if you don't have any problem with another party joining the fray, and maybe for your own reasons, maybe you just, if you're, let's say if you're a, a liberal, because I know there's a lot of liberals out there who are, are on my Facebook page and in different, you know, you run into them. Um, for their own reasons, they might say, well, yeah, bring it on. That just splits the vote, blah, blah, blah. So whatever reason you have, go to my Facebook page, click on the link that I've posted about um, uh, signing the petition. Now, the petition means that you don't have a problem with another party joining the fray here in Ontario. Okay? Doesn't mean it certainly does not mean you are a member of that party through that signature. All right? It just means you don't have a problem with it getting started. So if you want to be part of this growing, and I mean it is a growing movement. There are people all over, Windsor, Toronto, here in Ottawa, scattered all across the, the province, and they're going out and they're collecting signatures, and this thing is gaining some momentum. And if you want to be part of that, this is your opportunity. Now, there is an email address, an email. You're going to have to print it out, sign it, stick it in an envelope, and mail it. But all that information is on the um, uh, on the when you go to the link. Now, what I want to do for those of you who are um, uh, don't know what we're talking about just yet, or are wondering about this, you can go to the link and click on it yourself. But let me give you uh, um, an idea of what this is going to look like. Okay, the first question you come to when you uh, click on the link is, "Who are we?" Now, this isn't me speaking. This is this is the. I have no financial vested interest in this party whatsoever. They're not paying me for this. I have no vested interest in it from a financial point of view. I have one, perhaps politically, from the point of view that I'm looking for a party to support that shares my values, but certainly no financial interest. So, just full disclosure. Okay. So the question is, who are we? We are a group of Ontario citizens who, dissatisfied with the political choices available to voters, have joined together to create a new political party dedicated to real change in Ontario in accordance with the principles outlined below. If you agree with these principles and share our concern, please print, sign, and mail the attached petition today. And, of course, the address is there, so when you click on the link, you can see it. Okay, now, here's the preamble. Okay, to the, the, and the core principles. I'm not going to spend a lot of time going over this. But I do want you to hear it so that if you're kind of hemming and hawing, at least you'll have an idea because this is something I think we really need to do. Uh, if you do decide to do this, and I encourage all of you to do it, just when you do it and you're at the link on my Facebook page, just give it a thumbs up. Just just hit the like button so I get an idea of how many people are actually going ahead and doing that. All right, so it says, who are we? I read that already. Let's go down to we, the citizens of the province of Ontario. Okay. So here's the preamble to what we call the uh, founda foundational principles. There are seven of them. Okay, we, the citizens of the province of Ontario, acknowledge the supremacy of God and the rule of law, affirming the unity of Canada under the crown, guided by a sincere desire to promote the common good of the people of Ontario, present and future, while respecting the inherent wisdom of previous generations embodied in our culture and traditions. Do hereby found the Alliance Party of Ontario to promote and provide responsible government of the province of Ontario in a manner consistent with the following principles. Okay, now I'm just going to give you basically the first line of each principle. They go into greater detail, but this will give you an idea. Uh, we believe in the ethical and accountable execution of the business of government, which in a free and democratic society is secure to life, 
is to secure life, liberty, and property of the people through the prudent development and judicious enforcement in accordance with the principle of natural justice and of sensible policies and laws. That's number one. Okay, number two. We believe in limited government and the indispensable role that autonomous institutions such as church, family, and other voluntary associations play in the maintenance of those limits by balancing and diffusing government power. Number three, we recognize the natural family as the basic building block of a free and democratic society. Number four, we acknowledge that the people may choose as a secondary role of government to provide essential services which the private sector is unable to do so. We reject, however, the practice of government monopolization of such services, except in cases where the monopoly is demonstrably necessary for the safe and efficient delivery and operation of those services. Number five, subject to reasonable limits designed to prevent incitement to violence against people or property, we believe in the freedom of conscience, worship, freedom of speech, and freedom of association. We believe in the equality before the law and the principle that no person should face legal impediments to their pursuit of happiness because of their race or religion. Number six, we acknowledge that a responsible government might be compelled from time to time to adopt budgets, I guess slide it over a little bit, <clears throat> that are not balanced. We reject, however, the practice of accumulating public debt through regular budget deficits as a violation of the principle of no taxation without representation and the practice of regularly submitting surplus budgets as over-taxation. That's an important point. The government is supposed to be revenue neutral. So if you have a surplus, then you have to deal with it. All right. I, I really like that one. We rejected the divisive politics of envy and resentment that has come to dominate contemporary public discourse. Yes, amen to that. There's more to that, but if you can read it at, at, at your own leisure. But I highly, highly recommend you uh, go and sign that. Uh, again, it's not a membership. I can't stress it enough. It's not a membership. It is simply putting your name to saying, saying to Elections Ontario, I don't have a problem with this party coming into existence. That's all you're saying. So it's not like you're going to get a membership card in the mail or anything like that. So print it out, sign it, mail it. I don't know how much more plainly I can put it. But you realize there's been a lot of there's been a lot of uh, talk about because I hear it all the time. Well, who is there to vote for? Who is there to vote for? You know, because for one reason or another, a lot of the smaller parties, um, you know, that and you pick whatever one you want. Uh, have never been able to gain any traction. Uh, there are a lot of other parties, you know, they, they share some of those values, but not all of them. They're, you know, you, you can find stuff out there that is, some of it looks good and some of, some of it doesn't, or there's, you know, there's something just inherently that, but this one has been built around social conservative principles. It fills that right-wing void that's been abandoned by people like Patrick Brown. So if you feel like you've been thrown under the bus, this is the place for you. Now, it's not a party yet, okay? But it is the red by by gathering the names and as we build the momentum and get towards the the date when we have to submit them, then and when I say we, I'm talking in general terms here. Um because I'm not actively involved in any of that, but it's just the way I talk. Um you'll be part of something much larger than yourself for one thing, and it's a party that's been built from the ground up understanding the common sense, logic, and reason 
that I believe flows from a socially conservative lifestyle. Even if you don't agree with everything, there's a very good chance you'll agree with most if you call yourself a conservative. And certainly there's a lot more here to, to sink your teeth into than there is with the PC Party of Ontario right now because they're no different than anything you're going to find under the other major flags in this province, such as the NDP, the Liberals, the PCs. It's all pretty much the same thing, just a different color of flag. They all believe in basically the same principles. Some are a little more extreme than others, but for the most part, there's no huge substantive difference between the three parties. So it's not a wonder people get frustrated and there's nobody to vote for. Well, here's your chance. Here's your chance. Go to my Facebook page, click on the link, download the form, sign it, mail it. Oh, and don't forget to hit the like button so I know, get an idea of how many people are doing that. Just so we can keep a tally. We're just trying to keep track of where we're at and, you know, that kind of thing. And this, because, you know, you need a 1,000, but we'd love to blow that out of the water. So I don't know where we're going to end up. I don't know what uh, what the final number will be, but the more the merrier. You know, the more, the more uh, momentum you build by doing that. So please, by all means, take, some, take a moment and go and do that. All right, now, oh, there's a whole host of things to talk about. Let's start here. This is something that I'm, I'm glad to see. I mean, in, you know, when I say I'm glad to see it, I don't mean that I'm glad to see it because I'm a vicious or vindictive person. It breaks my heart that we have to do this. But I guess my, my attitude is, it's about time. Okay, this is out of the Montreal Gazette. An arrest warrant has been issued for an imam who made several anti-Semitic statements during a sermon at, Montreal Mos- at a Montreal mosque last December. Sheikh Mohammed ibn Musa al-Nasser called Jews the worst of mankind and expressed his hope that Muslims would slaughter them on Judgment Day, according to a statement by Bene Brith. Al-Nasser, a Palestinian Jordanian imam, is facing a charge of willful promotion of hatred following an investigation by the Montreal Police's Hate Crimes Unit. The article goes on, but the reason why uh, when I say I'm glad to see it, I'm not glad to see it because I, don't think, I think it's reprehensible that in Canada anyone would get, get up and say that regardless of where they come from or who they are. But I am glad to see it from the point of view of it is at least... Somebody is calling them out, to, uh, calling a guy like this to task for that, and he's going to be, if they think he's in Jordan. So if they can get him extradited, then he'll face charges here. Now, what will happen in court? Who knows? But it's about time we began to stand up for the rights of the people. If you're going to have hate crime laws, let me rephrase that. If you're going to have hate crime laws, then let's at least enforce them fairly and evenly. Because up until now, that's not been the case. So I'm, I was delighted to see the fact that the Montreal police took this seriously and went and did an investigation and decided there was enough evidence to lay charges and to issue a warrant for his arrest. Now, the mosque has never apologized for this. There have been some, and to be fair, there's been some Muslim groups come out and denounce this. That's, that's great. That's fine. But at the same time, there has been no denunciation by the mosque in question. As a matter of fact, um, from what I've been able to understand, the speech he gave is still in Arabic up on YouTube on the mosque's website. So there should be some accountability for that as well. So I thought I'd bring that to your attention because, you know something, this is the kind of thing that absolutely needs to happen. If we're going to have these laws, I would prefer we scrap hate laws altogether and simply use our libel and slander laws. 
we already have laws in the books that deal with this before they ever came up with hate crime laws. But if you're going to have these laws, at least enforce them fairly. Does that not make sense? I know it certainly does as far as I'm concerned, but then I'm only one person. So you can give me a call at 343-700-4390-844-562-4766. We can talk about that because I'm, I'm fed up with this. Always, you know, the table always slanted one way. And there's never any pushback. There's, ne- there's no balance in this. So if you're going to have a law, whether it's uh, you consider it a good one or a bad one, at least provide, uh, they, they um, at least prosecute it fairly. And there's, uh, Arthur just made a point, they, they're very selective about their prosecution. That's why I'm happy to see this. Okay, I don't like the fact that somebody stood up in, in any religious institution uh, and make these kind of comments because they're outrageous. They're just absolute, you know, nonsense. Uh, and in no other quarter would it be allowed. So, just, well, just flip the coin. If somebody stood up and said Muslims are the worst people on the planet, you know, in Canada, in front of a group in public, what do you think would happen? Well, I like to think the same thing. And at least in Montreal, that seems to be the case, that they're taking this seriously. So, with that said, there's, <laughs> in the same vein, they talk, you know something, liberals are funny people. And when I'm, I say that, I should, I should refrain from using the word liberals. I should ref, use the word conservatives, or not conservatives, progressives. And there's a story about Starbucks. Now, Starbucks, everybody knows, is not exactly what you call politically inert. Like a lot of businesses, they don't want any political trouble. They will bend over backwards to avoid it. They don't want to have anything to do with anything political. You know, they don't want to, they, they have a reputation to maintain. They have customers to think about. Starbucks has never cared about any of that. They've told Christians their business is not welcome. They don't want it. Um, the people, uh, a guy called Schultz, who was the C- chief executive officer who just re- retired, um, you know, was very famous for a lot of the kinds of things he would say. And he would go out of his way to flaunt um, illegal immigration by hiring illegal illegal immigrants, especially after Trump got uh, elected. It's He's flipping, flipping the bird at Trump and, and you know, um, throwing the law under the bus. Well, he's also been a great supporter of, uh, for lack of a better term, gay rights. This is coming back to haunt him. Now what do you do? Here's the story. And I won't read it all. I'll just jump down to what's... Um, he set up a, a whole string of uh, stores in Malaysia. Indonesia was the other place? Malaysia, yeah, in Indonesia. Okay, so let me pick the story up here. Despite, despite supporting Muslims in various politicized moves, former CEO Schultz has left successor Johnson to inherit a once-untouchable corporation choking on its own values. After specifically catering to Muslims in Islamic Malaysia and Indonesia, devout Muslim organizations are boycotting Starbucks and demanding the coffee chain's license to do business in the countries be revoked because of the company's support of gay rights. Now, this is a quote. I'm shooting down a little bit here. Uh, what's the name of the guy who quit? Amin Amir Abdullah, the head of Perkasa's Islamic Affairs Bureau. And he said this, quote, Our objection is because they are promoting something that is against the human instinct, against human behavior, and against religion. That is why we were against it. These are the guys he's trying... So now, Starbucks is between a rock and a hard place, because which left-wing cause do they abandon? 
Do they give up on gay rights to satisfy, you know, this inclusive, uh, you know, to to satisfy the 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 people who are uh, dead set against gay rights in the Muslim world, or does he give up on on trying to be you know all huggy with people who don't like gay rights and support? He's caught between a rock and a hard place. Well, literally, this is what happens. It, it's the same thing as when you, you'd see different um, um, protests against Israel. Okay, and I didn't pick this name, but it's the name they chose for themselves. But there was a protest, I believe it was in Toronto, uh, maybe a year or two ago, and one of the groups protesting were Queers for Palestine. Now, like I said, that's not my name. I would never use that language normally. That's the name of the group, okay, just to be clear. But think about what that means. I mean, if you were homosexual in Palestine, there's a very good chance you're going to get killed. And yet, for somehow, it doesn't filter in that what you're, you're supporting people who would kill you given the chance. I just don't understand this. So now Starbucks is in a heck of a mess because on one hand, they've tried to satisfy two completely polar opposite groups by being all-inclusive only to find out neither one wants to be included. So it'd be interesting to see how this plays out, to put it mildly. Uh, not that I'm a big fan of Starbucks. Anyway, their coffee is... Uh, I, I don't like coffee that strong. Let me put it to you that way. Uh, if you enjoy it, great. Go knock your socks off. But it's the kind of stuff that just... <sighs> you know what? <laughs> what do you say, right? <laughs> you asked for it. You got it. They're listening. All right. Well, with that said, I'm going to take a quick break here and play a couple of commercials. When we get back, we'll have more on the Nick and Night Show right after this. For 17 years, I've been taking my cars to Irwin's Automotion. 17 years ago, Irwin was renting space on the corner of Bank and Heron. His encyclopedic knowledge of all things mechanical and his no-bull honesty has resulted in his second move. He now operates a huge facility on Cleopatra, eight bays, and an expert staff that operate all in the same wavelength. Honesty, integrity, try to save the customers some money and headaches. But fix it right the first time. Irwin's Automotion, 34, Cleopatra. Tell them Council sent you. That'll make them smile. Ron Barr, General Manager and CEO of the Greater Ottawa Truckers Association, the voice of independent truckers in the Ottawa area, and proud supporters of Nick at Night. Every day we go to work to help build a better eastern Ontario, and safety is our top priority. Every start of the shift, our drivers perform inspections on their trucks so we ensure that our drivers go home to their families each night and you, the public, have confidence that the big truck beside you is safe. If you have any issues relating to any size truck, I encourage you to contact me at 613-738-1639. Let's build a better, fatality-free Ottawa together. All right, welcome back, everybody. Uh, let's see. Where do we want to go next? Oh, yeah. you know, it's funny. Talk about desperate people who just can't admit things aren't going their way. Um, I put up a, uh, <laughs> I put up a link. Now I know we've talked about global warming a hundred billion times, and people are sick to death of the topic. But at the same time, you wonder how long those who actually still believe in this scam can hang on. 
the evidence is mounting on a daily basis that all the predictions that have been made, none of them are coming true. Remember back in, uh, way back when Al Gore first got started, he said, by 2010, we'll see a 20-foot increase in sea level rise. Well, he never believed that in the first place. Otherwise, he never would have bought a house in San Francisco. He'd have brought one, bought one in Denver, which is otherwise known as Mile High City. But be that as it may, uh, you know, there were supposed to be uh, ice-free summers in the Arctic, and we've just all kinds of nonsense, and none of it took place. None of it happened. As a matter of fact, in many places, in the, especially in the Antarctic, the ice is growing. They just had a chunk. Everybody, they remember a little while ago, there was a story about um, uh, the size, uh, a pe- an iceberg broke off of the Antarctic ice sheet. All right? And it was, they said, it's the size of Delaware. I kind of shrugged and said, so what? Who cares? Just a big iceberg. That means the sheet's growing, not shrinking. Anyway. Be that I mean. So there's evidence out there. I remember a couple of years ago, some idiot tried to, tried to kayak to the to the North Pole. He got within about five or six hundred miles and stopped. Had to stop because it was too much ice. <laughs> and a little while ago, the University of Winnipeg got turned back for the same reason. They sent a research ship out, and all their vessels they went with them had to go on emergency rescue missions because a lot of vessels got caught in the ice and they couldn't make any headway. So they had to call the whole thing off. Now, do they admit they're wrong? Oh, no way, baby. They'd rather chew broken glass than see that happen. So you have (laughs) a research team slams global warming data in new report. Not reality, totally inconsistent with credible temperature data. Uh, Let's see, what website is it from? Uh, (laughs) Zero Ledge is what it's called. Anyway, I'll share just a little bit out of this in order to give you an idea. As world leaders, namely the European Union, attack President Trump for pulling out of the Paris Climate Agreement, which could have saddled Americans with billions upon billions of dollars in debt and economic losses, a new bombshell report that analyzed global average surface temperature uh, data produced by NASA, the NOAA, and Hadley, and Hadley, which I, I believe are data sets, proves the president was right on target with his... With his uh, hang on a second... Uh, with his resolve to be part of the new initiative. According to the report, which has been peer-reviewed and admi- by administrators, scientists, and researchers from the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency, the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, more commonly known as MIT, and several of America's leading universities, the data is completely bunk. Sherry, it's just the first paragraph of the report. In this research report, the most important service data adjustment issues are identified in past changes in the previous report Historical data are quantified. It was found that each new version of GAST has uh, this the um, the temperature record has nearly always exhibited a superwarming linear trend over its entire history, and it was nearly always accomplished by systemically removing the previous existing cyclical temperature pattern. This was true for all three entities providing the data measurement. <laughs> Another hole in the boat. I wonder how many times they can, I wonder how many times they can bail this thing out. I mean, sooner or later. Do you ever remember? Maybe you're not. You might not be old enough. Some of you are certainly are. I remember watching the Three Stooges, and I don't know why, but every time they were on the water, there was a lot of. Uh, they had fog on the water. It was obviously CO two gas, right? They would never do that now. Oh my God, no! Might kill the planet. But the the point is. They're standing, they're duck hunting. It's obviously on a set, but that's... 
And Larry Curley and Moe are standing up in this little boat, which is mistake number one. You never stand in a little boat like that with three people. It's just a bad, bad, bad idea. So <laughs> one of them, and I forget which one, actually shoots a hole in the bottom of the boat. Well, a column of water shoots up like three and a half feet high, and Curly looks at it, the bald guy. <laughs> Who else would be called Curly? Uh, and goes, ah! Boom! Blows a hole in the other end of the boat. So Mo smacks him upside the head. He says, what are you doing? He said, well, I'm just letting the water out. <laughs> and this is the kind of... This is the kind of mentality you're faced with. You know, well, we got a leak over here. I better let the water out over here. Um, they never stop to think about the consequences and the ramifications of the things that they're saying. You know, you know, it's it's like if you started a religion today that said, uh, let's see, the earth is going to end next week on Friday. And you got all kinds of people to join your religion because you figured doomsday is coming. That's it. It's over. Write the checks, you know, cash every, cash in everything. Come and meet me over here in Parliament Hill. And that's where we'll see Armageddon. It's all going to end. Except that it gets to be Saturday and Sunday and Monday and Tuesday. Sooner or later, you got to do one of two things. The th- right thing to do is say, oops. I guess I got it wrong, and go home. Or you can do what these guys do, just move the goalpost. Oh, no, I meant next Saturday. That's the environmental movement in a nutshell. They simply will not admit that they are wrong. They will choose, they would rather choose razor blades than admit they were wrong. Can you imagine David Suzuki walking out on a pre- to a press conference and yeah, well, um, you know, after much soul-searching and looking at the data again and again and again and testing it every way I can think of, um, it's obviously I was wrong and that their man does not have any impact on climate and that you can all just go back to living the way you were before. Never going to happen. It should. I'd have a ton of respect for him if he did, but you and I both know better than that. So there was th- that was kind of an interesting story. So this this whole... Thing. And it spawned a, a whole lot of debate on Facebook, i got to tell you. The, the, the people who uh, you know, are supporters of it, and yes, I have them on Facebook. They uh, certainly supported. Um, they, they think I'm crazy that one guy said, won't, won't matter, we're all dead. <laughs> who said anything about all of us dying? Because if you look at the projections, you're talking about a fraction of a degree over the next 80 years. So they've been wrong every single time. But rather than man up and say, well, okay, I guess I blew that, they just don't do it. They just keep on plugging away. Keep on plugging away. Now, let me ask you a question right after this break. Because I have to take a break. I just looked at the clock, and I was a little long last time. And we like to keep our sponsors happy. So let me get take a few seconds here. I'll play a couple of commercials. We'll be right back with more on the Nick and Night Show. We'll be right back. 
EMM Group is the authorized IntegraSpec distributor for the greater Ottawa area, providing technically advanced insulated concrete forms. The design virtually eliminates waste while providing the ultimate energy-efficient, quiet homes and structures. With over 40 years' experience in the concrete industry, EMM offers the best product to homeowners and contractors. Canadian-made IntegraSpec is now being used worldwide. More info can be found at IntegraSpec.com. Don't consider building any other way. Call your ICF specialist, 613-835-2600. For 17 years, I've been taking my cars to Irwin's Automotion. 17 years ago, Irwin was renting space on the corner of Bank and Heron. His encyclopedic knowledge of all things mechanical and his no-bull honesty has resulted in his second move. He now operates a huge facility on Cleopatra, eight bays and an expert staff that operate all in the same wavelength. Honesty, integrity, try to save the customers some money and headaches. But fix it right the first time. Irwin's Automotion, 34, Cleopatra. Tell them Council sent you. That'll make them smile. Well, that's funny because that's not the tune I thought I was going to (laughs) play. Okay, there's gremlins running around in here again tonight. All right, let me bring that to a stop. Ah, uh, there we go. Okay. The question I have for you, there's there's a story out of uh, the Star Tribune, which is out of Twin Cities. I'm guessing that's um, in the city of St. Paul, Minnesota. I believe they call that the Twin Cities. Anyway, this guy's driving along in his te- Tesla, and it has autopilot. Now, I remember when I was in the Navy, my friend bought, a, my one of my best friends, it turned out to be my best man at my wedding, uh, Glenn, went and bought a very early, it was either an 81 or an 82 AMC Pacer. And it was, hey, listen, he really liked the car. It was brand new, smell, you know, you get that smell, new car, new car smell. And he took it home, and he was teasing his mother. And you had to know Glenn. He was just a, he was so full, He one of the most amazing men I've ever met because he was so full of life and just loved to laugh and play jokes on people and a lot of fun to be around. So he's driving in his new car, and his mother's sitting in the passenger seat, and he's raving about the different features. He said, hey, Mom, look at this. The car's got autopilot. And he pressed the rear defrost button, and he let go of the steering wheel. <laughs> and he just sat there. And she goes, Glenn, 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 grab the wheel. <laughs> so he giggled, and he turned it off and grabbed it. Say, said, see, Mom, no problem. Okay, well, that was 35, well, we're pushing 40 years ago now. Anyway, now autopilot is real. Well, see, there's a problem. This Tesla, the guy owns a Tesla. He's driving along, and all of a sudden, the car accelerates, turns hard, and rolls over in a ditch. Let me, I think I've got that right. Let me just read to you the first paragraph or two. And I have a question. And maybe I'm just old-fashioned, but I have no desire to own one, uh, uh, an, an automated car. All right. A Twin Cities man whose Tesla rolled over in a central Minnesota marsh said Monday that he's, to, that he's to blame and not the autopilot technology for the luxury vehicle suddenly accelerating before crash landing. A 58-year-old David Clark of Eden Prairie said he was driving Saturday evening before sunset in a country road 18 miles north, northeast of Wilmar when the crash occurred. Now, you know something? I frankly... Oh, I hit the wrong button. I hope that didn't kill things. Um, okay, no, we're, we should be all right. Anyway, the point is, he says he's at fault. But if there was no autopilot in the car, 
he would have had his hands on the wheel and been driving, I would like to think, properly. True? So the question is, are you the kind of person who will ever accept an automated car? Would you, would you go out? Are you the kind of a techie guy uh, who would, just can't wait for that kind of technology? Now, there's people out there who hate You know what? I'm, I'm a person who doesn't like driving just from point A to point B. I have done more driving in my life than I care to think about. I mean, ever since I was, the first time I got sat on a mechanical device that had a steering wheel, I was seven years old. It was a tractor in the middle of a hay field, and my father was walking beside me going, don't run over the bale, don't run over the bale, don't run over the bale. Never mind. <laughs> and it was an old cockshot with the front wheels. I, I remember it, the steering wheel felt like it was like four feet wide, right? Because when you're only seven. Anyway, so since that time, I've been driving almost everything with wheels. And I've had my fill of driving for the sake of transportation. I love to drive for fun. Okay, when you can get out on a, on a nice windy road with a five-speed gearbox and have a little bit of fun, that I enjoy. Put me on a racetrack. I have a lot of fun with that. Um, but as far as just transporting myself, I'm just as happy to let one, somebody else drive as I am to drive. I, I certainly can do it, but I would rather like a lot of times we're, when my wife and I go somewhere, we just say, who wants to drive? And she's not real crazy about driving, and uh, she'll say, I don't know, you want to drive? And I'll say, I don't know, you want to drive? And finally, one will say, okay, fine, I'll drive. And it's just because, you know, both of us have done so much of it that, like anything else, it gets a little tedious, uh, especially if you have to drive any distance. So, but when I look at these automated cars, I'd rather drive my own, I'd rather mix my own gears, I would rather drive my own car. And the reason is, because when you have, look, I know a lot of people are going to say, yeah, but computers can think far faster than you can. They can make adjustments a million times in a second. All that's true. All that's true, but I don't care. There's something about being in control of the vehicle I'm in that makes me feel comfortable. And I am not willing to surrender that for the sake of convenience or just because it's the latest, greatest trend. Now, I may... Um, yeah, I, Anthony, I know the feeling. There's a lot of, you should ride with my mother-in-law. Uh, he says, I'm not a good passenger. Yeah, I, I get that. Believe me. Um, I am. I, I don't bother me at all. I, a lot of times I'll just tip my cap over my eyes, put the seat back. and you know. Or, you know, the other reason I, I don't like driving all the time is because I get a chance to look around. When you're driving down Highway 60 between, let's say, Eganville and, and uh, Renfrew or going the other way to Berry's Bay or whatever, there's lots of stuff I've never seen before because I'm always looking at the road, which is what you're supposed to do. I remember in, in um, when I was in high school, uh, one of the kids was talking about a question on an exam. It was just a, free qu a fluke question. It's if you get it right, you get a bonus point or whatever it was. And it said, you're on a driver's test, and you're driving down a country road, and you see someone hanging from a tree. What do you do? And everybody had, oh, my God, you pull over, you call the ambulance, that, that, this. And the only person to get it right said, I don't know because I wouldn't see him. I'm concentrating on the road. And I, yeah, okay. But that's, that's what, when you're a driver, that's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to pay attention to the traffic and the road. And safety is your number one concern. So you want to make sure you know what's going on around you. But when you're not driving, now you hey, where'd that boat come from? Hey, I never noticed that shed before. Hey, where'd that, and my wife just shakes her head. It's been there 15 years. No, it hasn't. 
No, I wouldn't know. No. Now, it doesn't happen as much now, but, you know, when we go in different places, it's fun to be able to look around rather than concentrate on driving all the time. But getting back to the automated car, yes, it would free somebody up to do that, but there's something about automation. There's a limit. There's a line that I think once you cross it that you lose a certain amount of freedom. It's like riding the bus. I mean, maybe I can explain it that way. It's like riding a bus. If you get on a bus in the city, you're beholden to somebody else. Now, it's not automated, but what difference does it make from your perspective? You're not in control. Okay, you don't decide when it goes, when it stops. You do not decide, uh, you know, what route to take. That's all pre-planned. You, if you want to divert off and go, hey, let's go over here. I, I just thought of something. I want to run down over here and check out this store or, you know, in my case, I might want to go to Canadian Tire and check out the latest in fishing lures or something like that. Nothing like that's possible because you're not in control. And I'm a person, especially when I'm driving or traveling, I want to be in control. And you surrender that along with a little bit of freedom when you do it. And I'm not trying to make too much out of that, but the point is having a car that you pilot and you control is not only part of our culture, whether a lot of the greenies like to admit it or not, but it's also a link to real freedom because when you have a car uh, that you control, if at 2 o'clock in the morning you want to get in your car, drive across the river and drive through the Gatineau's, who's to tell you no? But if you're dependent on an automated uh, transport system, all of a sudden it's not so easy. Now, I don't know how these automated cars would work out, whether they're just you plug in where you want to go and it goes there. There's been some, I know they're working on that. But I just am not interested. Uh, I am just not interested in an automated people, uh, a people, automated cars. It's, it's hard. Then there's the other side of the coin where people say, look, so many people can't drive. They literally can't drive. They have no idea what they're doing behind the wheel. Yeah, I hear that argument too, but at the same time, I'm not willing to surrender that chunk of my freedom because other people are incompetent. You want to fix that, you make the driving test harder. You want to fix that, you make it harder to get a license unless you know what you're doing. You should take it, take a look sometime at what the Japanese have to go through to get a license. I mean, there are people who fail dozens of times and never before they ever pass, if they ever do. They have a course they have to drive. They have to know all the laws and rules. It's all, all built in the test. When I got my license back in when I was 16, that would have been 1978. Um, yeah, 1978. Uh, I went into Leamington, and uh, uh, I, told, I wrote the little, you know, out of the book what the signs all meant. We got in the car. My dad's uh, Buick got in the car, and we literally drove around the block, the whole thing took a minute and a half. I already knew how to parallel park, so when we pulled up front. I parked it. He said, you live on a farm, don't you? I said, yeah. He said, okay, you passed. That was it. That was my driver's exam. And I passed it first, first time, no problem. But I will admit, I think that was way too easy. It should have been a tougher test than that because when you start talking about traveling down the highway at 60 miles an hour in a 3,000-pound car... Now you're talking about 180,000 pounds of kinetic energy. And you have to understand the physics behind it at least a little bit so that you know that, you know what, if I want to be stopped by there, I have to start applying brakes here. And you also have to keep an eye on the traffic around you. I'm 
babbling, I know. But the bottom line is I don't like automated cars, and I don't want one. And I'm not interested in them just like I'm not interested in um, in getting into, um, uh, what was I going to say? Don't you hate that? You've got a thought lined up, and the bugger leaves on you before you get a chance to spit it out. Man, I'll tell you. Getting old. All right, moving on. I, uh, that thought will come back to me, I'm sure. Uh, I want to give a shout-out to um, the Renfrew Nis- Nipissing Pembroke's uh, um, Member of Parliament, Cheryl Gallant. She's my MP, and I voted for her, in la- voted for her ever since she got elected, and I see no reason not to vote for her again because, you know, she takes a lot of flack in the news uh, occasionally. And some people, and she has looked, like every other politician, they have stuck their foot in their mouths, and Cheryl has not immune to that. I remember something about a helicopter rescue or something like that in Newfoundland. I don't remember all the details. But, okay, it wasn't the brightest thing to say. But overall, I think she's doing a fine job and is really working hard for the people in her riding. Um, but she's she's doing what she's doing is calling the um, media out for a lot of this Cotter coverage, calling it fake news. And I think it's great. I think it's about time people started. The Americans have been getting it. Uh, CNN, by the way, is an absolute joke. Oh, if I can find that. Um, I'll try and find that little clip. It's a montage. Yeah. I don't know if you'll be able to hear it, though. Uh, it's on my Facebook page. You want to you watch something funny. It shows you how badly and poorly um, CNN is, is viewed these days. They have dropped down to around 100,000 viewers. At least that's the last number I saw. It could be different now. But the bottom line is they, the bottom has dropped out of the ratings because they are so, they've been discredited so many times. Uh, they're nothing but a fake news network. They should change their logo. Anyway, she says in part, whether it is the Toronto Star, CBC, Globe and Mail, CTV, or even the National Post, editorialists and columnists have been tripping over themselves in a rush to justify Justin's payout to Catter. And she said that, and she does. She's got, she's got her own uh, Facebook show, by the way, called GNN, the Gallant News Network. And I've seen it; it's pretty entertaining. She gets, she gets people from, um, you know, different politicians. Um, she'll do. I think it's about ten or fifteen minutes long. Uh, I don't know if it's going on right now because they're in recess uh, for the summer. But um, the one I, I did watch one, and it was she had uh, who was on. Anyway, we're talking about the latest fiasco under the under the Liberals, and she just, you know, she she's she's actually uh, a lot of fun to watch. Anyway, so she said um, she was just basically um, tra- telling the media, look, you know, enough of the nonsense, and it's fine. It's nice to see somebody because you know you're not going to see it from the MSM itself. You're not CBC's never going to stand up and say we got to knock off this Cotter stuff. You know, the guy's a terrorist. He's a convest- convicted criminal. Why are we entertaining this? You know, or the other attitude that we heard from the mainstream media here in Canada was, this is such a divisive issue. Now, we've been over this a hundred times before, dozens of times before, but the bottom line is nobody else is doing this, other than yours truly, um, pointing out the fact that this is not a divisive issue. We're being manipulated and lied to by our mainstream media and our national broadcaster. And it's about time somebody started calling uh, calling them on it, and I'm very glad to see that she's done that. All right, uh, let's see. We'll go to one more topic, then I got to take another break. <sighs> okay. Now, I know that no matter what I say or do, 
the die is cast, and there's nothing I can do to stop this. This idea about legalizing pot is the dopiest, pun intended, idea I have ever, I, I think, there, there's so many more important things that the government needs to work on. This is just a way of distracting us from the real issues that matter, like 10.5 million issues, as an example. Um, you know, there's other things that matter, but the government in so many places is so broke that they're grasping at straws trying to find ways to raise revenue. And this whole legalizing marijuana is all about that. It's got nothing to do. They, they couldn't care less about child safety. They couldn't care less because, first of all, the idea of keeping pot out of, you know, making sure that if, if young people want pot, they're going to get it from a safe source is utter nonsense. It doesn't work with cigarettes. Kids still smoke. They still find ways to get it. Only that, you know, it's it just that Mike Harris, one of the things he did that actually made a big dent in this whole illegal smoke things was he cut the taxes on smokes dramatically and took a lot of the profit out of it. But legalizing marijuana is just plain dumb. However, with that said, I think I've made my point pretty clear on that. They are going to make a dog's breakfast out of this. This whole idea about they want, like, they're at a meeting in Edmonton right now, and marijuana is on the, uh, on the agenda. And in the middle of the picture, there's the Wicked Witch of, of downtown Toronto. Um, oh, no, wait, that's Kathleen Wynne. Yeah, or Orville Redenbacher's. Never mind. I won't go there. Anyway, so these guys are all saying, all the premiers saying to the to the federalities, slow down. We're not ready for this. We can't get this done in time. There's all kinds of concerns about how we're going to implement this. Now, like I said, they shouldn't even be bothering with this issue, but here we are. So they're they're in the middle of all this, and this is nothing but a massive tax grab. So they want to make sure they have all their ducks in a row before this is unrolled. Now, Justin Trudeau said, no, nope, July 1st, 2018, that's it. You better be ready because here it comes. And they're not getting anywhere. So let me, they're, I don't think they're going to change Justin's mind because, first of all, you have to have a mind to change. Um, but anyway, all but one premier, that I'm reading from the story now, all but one premier, John Horgan from British Columbia, is attending the summit this year along with 94 delegates. Tuesday's discussions turned to economy and trade with a focus on looming renegotiations with North American free trade. That's another issue. Uh, the government won't tell us what their strategy is. And you know what? I don't, that's one file I will admit I think that the Liberal government seems to have a handle on is the, the um, relationship with the Americans. I'm surprised. I really am surprised that it's it's where it's at. Now, it was funny to watch uh, uh, Justin get the cold shoulder from Trump when they were over in Europe and Justin wander around the banquet hall like a lost puppy because nobody wanted to talk to him. They didn't take him seriously. That was funny. But the people he has working for him in that particular office seem to be doing a pretty good job. So I'm not against giving credit where credit is due. It's just in this government's case, it's not due very often. Most of the time, it's not due at all. But anyway... So you've got this, uh, where did that story go? Right there. So you've got people out there um, all crying about this, and all it is is just they want to make sure they all get their slice of the pie. They think there's going to be this massive revenue boost. But you know something? There was a call into terrestrial radio station today, and a guy 
was talking to the host and said, this is all nonsense. This isn't going to work the way they think it is because drug dealers are already cutting the cost. And he used a phrase that I thought was interesting. He said, I know a guy who does this. He's a drug, he, the caller wasn't a drug dealer, but he, apparently he knew somebody was. And he said, I'm just going to dust my stuff. So the host said, what do you mean dust his stuff? He said he's just going to put powder on it, like fentanyl or crack or whatever, and make the, the marijuana he's selling really addictive so they won't be interested in the government supply. So they've already laid the foundation for massive amounts of addiction with no idea about what they're going to do about it when that happens. I wouldn't be surprised if this hasn't even crossed their minds or if it has that they don't care. All they see are dollar signs and they look at places like BC where it's the largest, one of the largest industries out there in BC is, or one of the largest, uh, if not the largest, is this idea that marijuana is going to be this huge cash cow. I don't think that's going to be the case. I think they're going to make a dog's breakfast to this. I think it's going to be a disaster, and I need to take a break. We'll be right back with more. Ron Barr, General Manager and CEO of the Greater Ottawa Truckers Association, the voice of independent truckers in the Ottawa area and proud supporters of Nick at Night. Every day we go to work to help build a better eastern Ontario, and safety is our top priority. Every start of the shift, our drivers perform inspections on their truck, so we ensure that our drivers go home to their families each night, and you, the public, have confidence that the big truck beside you is safe. If you have any issues relating to any size truck, I encourage you to contact me at 613-738-1639. Let's build a better, fatality-free Ottawa together. For 17 years, I've been taking my cars to Irwin's Automotion. 17 years ago, Irwin was renting space on the corner of Bank and Heron. His encyclopedic knowledge of all things mechanical and his no-bull honesty has resulted in his second move. He now operates a huge facility on Cleopatra, eight bays, and an expert staff that operate all in the same wavelength. Honesty, integrity, try to save the customers some money and headaches, but fix it right the first time. Irwin's Automotion, 34, Cleopatra. Tell them Council sent you. That'll make them smile. All right. Now, so, yeah, they're going to make a mess of that. And talking about chickens coming home to roost, here's another story i got to share with you because this just blows my mind. Ontario wind turbine factory closing, hundreds losing jobs. It's out of uh, Windsor is where this story comes from. It's in the Ottawa Sun, but it's also in the Windsor Star, and it's in the London Free Press, and it's it's all over. So it's sending huge ripples through uh, uh, through southern Ontario, and this is what happens. Like, as uh, a commentator I was listening to today said, you know, we basically pay these people a hundred and twenty thousand dollars. Paid Samsung a uh, hundred and twenty thousand dollars per job to hire these people. So the government was paying for them. Samsung was just giving them something to do. Okay, for that money. Well, now the money ran. Money has run out. It's no longer economically viable. And the plant is closing. This is the second. One plant was closed. Now they're, they're worried about the one down in Windsor. Uh, let's see. Let me start here. The t- in, out of Tilsonburg. The loss of 340 jobs at a factory that makes blades for wind turbines could be, could be the harbinger of troubles ahead in Ontario's green energy industry, a leading, analysis, a leading analyst says. Siemens Canada announced Tuesday is closing its Tilsonburg plant. 
one of the four Ontario green energy factories set up for set up under a controversial multi-billion dollar deal with the uh, Korean industrial giant Samsung. The closing of one of the town's largest employers came after weeks of nervous speculation. But energy analyst Tom Adams said Ontario's green energy industry could be in for a rough ride if it doesn't lay its hands on orders from outside of Ontario. Look, you can go on and on and on here, but the bottom line is this stuff never made economic sense without massive government subsidies in the first place. But Dalton McGinty sold us on this. Remember, one of the highlights of my career uh, while I was on the air uh, was actually having Yasser Nakfi, the present-day Attorney General uh, in this province, come into the studio. We, we used to have a little show called Lunch Punch. Maybe some of you remember that. And uh, I had him for 20 minutes, and he couldn't go anywhere. And I asked him about these 20,000 jobs, and to condense a half-hour conversation down into you know, a few seconds. Uh, he, he, to- he changed tenor on me. He changed, um, what's the word? He started out by saying, we have created 20,000 jobs. Then he changed, context is the word I'm looking for. Context, he said, we are creating 20,000 jobs. And by the end of it, he was saying, we will create 20,000 jobs. So he was lying to me. The question was, when? You know, did he lie to me about the first one? Did he lie to me about the second number? Or did he lie to me about... Because you can't have created, are creating, and will create the same jobs. It's either you did or you didn't. Or you might someday in the future. But you can't claim the same job in three different settings. So that I'll never forget that conversation. That was a lot of fun because I had him and he couldn't run away. He couldn't just duck out of the back, back door. So, but the point is, for a long time now, anybody with a brain has understood this green energy was a disaster. Because if, if I, I've got a little gig stick in my hand here. And if your job, if your industry is to make gig sticks, and we need them, okay? But the government comes along and says, tell you what, we want you to be really competitive. We want you to hire more, more people. We want our job numbers to look better so... The gig stick might cost you five cents a piece to make, but we're going to subsidize it. So, in other words, it's not going to cost; it'll only cost you a penny. We'll subsidize the other four cents, but you're going to hire enough people to make up for the increase in demand. Well, what idiot wouldn't take that deal? The problem is, it's a term. It's a the contract has a termination date, and when the money runs out, you go from one cent back to five cents and what happens is after a number of years you get used to the one cent cost right you get used to living on that subsidy it's like being hooked on a drug so now what happens is you've got this industry out there who has forgotten how to be competitive or never should have existed in the first place because there was no market for it now in gig sticks that's not the case i was just using that as an example but in the case of wind turbines There was never any demand for it. It was all set up and falsified to push an agenda that none of us would have otherwise agreed to. And they sold us this massive, well, I remember Dalton McGinty saying, well, there's $400,000 in the auto industry. Why can't we have $400,000 people working in the green energy sector? Because there's no demand for it. You can't support an industry on government subsidies forever and expect it to be viable financially in the long haul. It just doesn't make any economic sense. So that's what happened there. 
Now those chickens are coming home to roost because the money's dried up, the jobs are going away, and factories that never should have opened in the first place are now closing. And a lot of people who would have been doing other things are now out of work and looking for jobs where they thought they already had them. With that, we'll take our top-of-the-hour break, and when we get back, we'll have more on the Nick at Night Show. So Nick is reloading and taking a much-needed break. Not that he needs one, but maybe it's a good thing. So if you want to fire him off an email, just uh, send it to nick at latenightcouncil.com. That's simple, huh? Nick at latenightcouncil.com. Or better yet, call now. Hey, I know he could talk forever, but you know what? If you're doing talk radio, you love the calls. 343-700-4390. That's 343-700-4390 for the Capital Region. And if you can't get through on that line or you live far, far, far away, like we're talking about Alaska, 1-844-562-4766. That's 1-844-562-4766. Now, our call service is automated. You won't be talking to a live person until you're live on air. Don't sweat it. Just follow the prompts and while you're on hold, and, and, and you'll be fine. night does not exist without advertisers so if you want to buy time you contact either myself jc at late or you can contact nick if you're more comfortable with him and of course i certainly understand that you can contact nick at late the ads are like really really cheap i mean you're gonna you're gonna love them okay you're, you're, we've, we've made them quite accessible Feedback is always welcome. Tell us what you like. Tell us what you don't like. And thanks for tuning in. Now, back to Nick at Night. All righty then. Now, I don't know if uh, this paper, this, this little paper, the Metro News, um, is one of the wi- most widely circulated papers in Ontario. I think it has about 500,000 subscription, not subscription, but uh, circulation. Uh, I believe that's where it's at. Anyway, you find it everywhere, and it has versions for each city that it's in. Uh, it's free because, they, of course, they, they've for somehow been able to make advertising work, which is rare in the, in the newspaper industry. Now, there's a story in here I noticed today when I was having my supper before I came over. Um, top court, billion-dollar reno, Shell. Now they're talking about the building. 
the Supreme Court is housed in. And for some reason, uh, I don't know. You see, my problem is, as a homeowner, as repairs are required, you do them if you can, right? If it's economic, like if you need a new roof, do you wait 10 years? No, you, you, as soon as you can, you arrange to have the roof done. If you need new windows and doors, do you wait till the fallout? Well, you could, but it's going to get mighty drafty. No, you you go in and do that. So I wonder why this wasn't done with Supreme Court building. Because apparently it's in need of about a billion dollars worth of repairs. Okay, so I'm reading this paper. And let me just share a little of it so you can get an idea. Um, let me see. I don't normally read from papers uh, on the air, but here we go. Okay, now... Public Works announced on Monday that the iconic Supreme Court building will undergo a five-year renovation beginning, get this, in 2023. Okay, construction is estimated to last at least five years with an initial price tag of over $1 billion. I want you to keep that number in mind for a reason. Major renovations are required to, s- to shore up structural issues with the building. The Treasury Board of Canada, which maintains a database of all federal properties, lists the Supreme Court building as being in critical condition. All right. In January, CBC reported that an internal public works briefing acknowledged that the building's mechanical systems were expected to fail by 2020, electrical systems by 2021, and the reef a roof above the parking garage, which has been subject to water damage, could collapse by 2018. That's next year. However, construction on the nearby West Memorial Building at 344 Wellington Street needs to be completed before the justice and uh, justices and offices of the Supreme Court can be moved in. All right. So it's going to cost a billion dollars. They're putting that off till 2023. So the first question is, why were these repairs not dealt with when they first appeared, when, they were, when the necessity for updating for uh, making repairs because look you don't end up with mechanical systems in a house that are ready to fail overnight at least not that i i know of like you i run a house too and i know you know i know the state of repair of of my water system as an example or or maybe the electrical system i know what kind of shape it's in um just don't go down to my basement (laughs) excuse me So you have this, these issues. That's the first thing. But then it's going to cost a billion dollars, and it has to wait till 2023. Now, look, I understand that you're probably going to have to move the justices and their offices and set up courtrooms uh, to, go, uh, to, to continue their work while the renovation is being done. All right? I was driving around Ottawa today and yesterday as well, and I noticed something. There are scads, and I mean plenty, of empty office buildings or at least floors within them that might, in an ad hoc kind of way, serve the purpose required by the Supreme Court. Is it perfect? No. Nobody's suggesting that it is. But are you telling me? That the only place to put them is at 344 Wellington? That somebody with a little bit of imagination couldn't say, you know what, here's a building, it's, it's you know, for a couple of million bucks, we can make it work, okay? There's contractors out there that do this stuff all the time. 
you know, they'll take a, a floor or two out of a, out of a high rise and they'll gut it and they'll rebuild it and a new client will move in and it sometimes it's done in a matter of weeks. Sometimes it takes longer. But we're talking 2023. And this is an iconic building. Never mind what goes on inside it. The building itself is as much a part of the uh, uh, of it's as much a part of Canada as the Parliament buildings are. Okay, so all right, so there's that. Now I asked you to keep in mind the billion dollar repair bill. Okay, because they're going to say, "Well, we don't have the money." Uh, it's funny how that comes up. But I so I thought I'd have a little look and see just how much money. They wasted when they could have done something like repair one of our great, uh, you know, our, our uh, architectural gems. Now, personally, the, the Supreme Court is a very unique-looking building. I don't know of any other building that looks like that. So whether you like it or, not, or don't like it doesn't matter. It is nobody ever has any doubt that when they look at that, that's the Supreme Court of Canada. Okay? Now, this comes from the Huffington Post. Okay. And it is dated, let's see, it's, I think it's been up for a little bit. Yeah, this is from last year. And let's see, that'll be February 16th, 2016. Okay, but they're talking about in the first 100 days of Trudeau's office. It was interesting to read David, David Aiken's numbers on Trudeau's dollar handouts in his first 100 days in office. By his calculations, it amounts to $5.3 billion, which is slightly less than a billion dollars that was spent in, with slightly less than a billion spent inside Canada. $4.3 billion spent outside the country to buy you a lot of thanks from some organizations such as the UN for climate change conferences. Blah, 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 who cares? But are you telling me that they just found out now about the Supreme Court, that it's a mess, that it needs to be, you know, major overhaul? Somebody walked in and went, Eureka, look at this place. It's a mess. It's a wreck. we got to fix this. Oh, but let's do it five years from now after the garage roof collapses. After the electrical system totally fails. I mean, what what kind of planning does it take to say, you know, guys, this thing's getting old. Let's have a look. You would think that when I was in the Navy, we used to have this thing called routine maintenance. Okay? And there was a book. And in that book, there was every piece of equipment that the engineers were responsible for. We had lube oil coolers. We had turbo generators. We had a big induction fans. We had, you know, the boiler front. We had, you name the piece of gear, feed water pumps, fuel pumps. All of them needed occasional maintenance. And you had a, a, a book that told you what to do and when to do it and what the procedure was. So the chief would hand me a card out of this book and say, Vandergrat, go do that. And I'd look at it and say, okay, change the corrosion plugs in the starboard turbo lube oil starboard turbo blower lube oil cooler if you don't know what that is don't worry about it the vast majority of you will never even see one never mind know what it is but the point was there was a certain amount of maintenance required so i go up and i do the routine i come back i check it off i'd hand the card don't you think something like that would apply in the case who's the property manager for this stuff do they walk around blindfolded do they never go say let's go and, and just have a look at the sprinkler system and see what kind of shape it's in. Let's go check the roof and see, because we know there's water damage. Let's go see how severe it is. And what can we do, even if we don't have the budget for it right now, to make it last a little longer? Isn't this just common sense? Like this stuff, just you just got to shake your head and go, what kind of rocket sciences do we have doing this stuff? 
Now, I'm not trying to be disparaging, but you wasted four, five billion dollars throwing money away to God knows what. You gave 10.5 million to a terrorist. You gave 600. What is it? I forget the number now. It's somehow the number 650 million to the Clinton Foundation for who knows what. And we have to put this off for five years. One of the great buildings, architecturally speaking, you know that that's uh, 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 one of the. It's like the Parliament Hill itself, the Parliament buildings. The Supreme Court, the Library of Canada, Parliament buildings, all kind of one thing. How much money did they just spend on, on redoing the whole Parliament building? All you know, That took a couple of years. Remember where they sandblasted the outside and all that stuff? So I just I look at it, maybe I'm making too big a deal out of, out of nothing, but there's something about the, the institutions our country has and even the buildings they're housed in. Because I got a lot of problems with the Supreme Court as an entity. Okay, but as a building, there's no reason for this. There is absolutely no reason for this. Heck, a farmer from Killaloo could do a better job for half the money. <laughs> Maybe not the remodeling, but, you know, just to run a, a regular maintenance routine on it. And every six months you go through and you inspect all the different systems and look for trouble. And if you find it, you fix it. That way you never end up with systems that are about to crash because nobody was paying attention. Now, there's another story in here. Uh, let's see. It's in here somewhere. Oh, yes. Um, uh, if I find it. It's all about the um, somebody's playing the victim card again. Now, where did I see that? Oh, maybe it wasn't in here. Nope. Oh, rideshare, yeah. No, there, I thought it was another story in here I'm missing. Anyway, it doesn't matter. We've got plenty of other stuff to go over. All right, so... I'm just curious, if you were running this, if you were a building manager, would you wait till the building's falling down before you actually did anything about it? You know, if, would you treat your home that way? Assuming, of course, that you've got the cash to fix it or the ability to borrow the money. If you have a serious structural issue, let's say your foundation, or maybe, um, you know, you've got a leak in the roof, or you've got, uh, you need new windows and doors or a new furnace or something like that. You don't wait till the, the electrical system fails. You don't wait till the, the roof gets went, you know, leaks, and, and you try, you don't do it all at once. It just doesn't make any sense. So, all right, that's my little rant on that because it's just frustrating. It's just there's no reason for this. Okay, now, so let's see. Oh, we did that one. Uh, okay, we did that one. Where? Oh, Rosie O'Donnell. Oh, my God. How could I forget her? You know, they still haven't gotten over it. They just haven't gotten over it. The left is going, is still going bananas over um, the fact that their gal lost to Donald Trump. Now, Donald Trump is a lot of things. Perfect isn't one of them. And I've never been a supporter of Donald Trump, but I have always said he will—he won't be as good as a lot of people hope, but he will be better than a lot of people think he'll be. And I think that's been pretty much borne out. I know I'm not even really convinced he's a conservative. I, I don't think you. I think it's easy to make the case that he's not. If you listen to Ben Shapiro, there's no way. Okay, but he is the president, and just like Justin Trudeau, you respect the office, not the man. Uh, they have, the, they're, they're not, 
Well, here's what, here's what I'm getting at. Rosie O'Donnell has a game called Push Trump Off the Cliff, cliff Again. And what happens is the game, you see this uh, cutout of Donald Trump, like, excuse me. Donald Trump walking along the edge of a cliff, and he falls over. And another one, he falls into a pit of lava. And another series of Tyrannosaurus Rex comes comes along and eats him. And she's she's killing uh, Trump by proxy, okay? Uh, and yet she doesn't seem to think there's any problem with it. Well, you know, this is just another nonsensical, out-of-touch, loony lefty that cannot accept the fact they lost. And you can have... You, you can do this, but you're not you, all you're doing is painting yourself to be a childish little girl in this case who simply is sucking her thumb and throwing things at the door because mom and dad locked her in her bedroom because she was misbehaving. It, they're having a tantrum. That's exactly what they're having, and it hasn't ended. And it probably won't end for as long as Trump is in office. But I think you, isn't there something about being an adult where you, you have to accept reality whether you like it or not? That, you know what, it's like there's all kinds of issues I don't like, I don't agree with. You know, but you have to say, well, you know what, that's just the way it is. It didn't go my way. And you have to accept the fact that's, you know, another viewpoint carried the day. So you suck it up, buttercup, and you move on. And you, you pick up your sword and your shield and you go back into the fray and fight for something else. But I just, these guys are not interested in that. They just there's so much visceral hatred for the man that they just have lost complete touch with the ground. Now I want to go back over something. Uh, let's see. Yeah, we can do that. Um, and that was what I started the show with. Uh, for those of you who have joined a little late, there is now uh, an opportunity for you to help. And when I say us or we, I'm talking in a general sense. I have no interest financially uh, in this uh, new party. But there is uh, a new party is attempting to register here in the province of Ontario called the Alliance Party of Ontario. And what I'm asking you to do is go to my Facebook page, find the link, click on it, read what's there, and then uh, print the page out, sign it, mail it in. And I don't care what your political persuasion is. And the reason I say that is because all you're saying by signing it is that you don't have a problem with another party joining the political fray here in Ontario. It's another option for voters. Now, for those of us on the right, and I include myself in that, I am what's called a small-c conservative. My conservatism is a lifestyle, not a political party. So when the PC Party of Ontario abandoned the things that I believe in, I abandoned them. It's like, uh, what was his name, Ronald Reagan, say, I didn't leave the Democrats, the Democrats left me. Churchill said the same thing about the Labour Party. No, I didn't leave them. They left me. And that's very exactly the same way I feel about this, that I didn't abandon the, the Progressive Conservative Party of Ontario. They abandoned me, and I'm not the only one to feel that way. So go to that link and take, your, take some time. Go over it as long as you, you, know, you don't have a problem with it. And remember this, and it says so here. I'm looking at the site right now, looking at the, uh, uh, the site right now. Uh, this does not constitute party membership. Okay, you're not going to get a you're not going to get a party membership card uh, because at this moment there is no party. We're gathering. When I say we again, it's a general we, but th there is a uh, a growing movement across the province in all all kinds of places. Uh, 
out in Godrich and Windsor and in here in eastern Ontario. It's Toronto. It's it, it's by no means going to be a fringe party. This isn't something that uh, you know two three guys in a garage over a case of beer said, "Damn it, we got to fix this. Let's start a party." Nothing like that at all. This is a very serious um, uh, organization with some very uh, smart people involved. So I'm looking forward to uh, seeing how this all shakes out. But you can help be part of that growing trend by going to this link, uh, going over the information, downloading it, signing it, and mailing it to the address as listed there. And when you do that, hit the like button so that I know how many people have done that. And we can kind of just keep a running tally because it takes a little while for the mail to get caught up, right? So if you drop it in the mail, it'll be uh, probably four or five days for it to get there. But I certainly uh, I can't encourage you enough to be able to go and do that because it's it really is uh, giving you the opportunity to make a difference. Um, it's a home for let me put it to you this way. It's a home. It's a place where you can go where if you're a social conservative or at least someone who is sick and tired of seeing the kinds of disasters befall you, uh, regardless of who you vote for, if you want a clear and distinct difference, okay, somebody who offers something that's different, substantially different, then go ahead and sign the petition. When the time comes for memberships, don't worry. We'll, that, that news will get out. But right now, it's just a matter of gathering the, the, uh, the, gathering the numbers together. And the more we have, the better off it is. So what I'm saying is that, you know, uh, I have no doubt they'll hit the target. But why not have four or 5,000 names? Talk about making a statement. So there, there's, there's that. And this, believe me, this will get a lot of people's attention. Because what are we doing? We're pointing out that people like us will not be taken for granted. They will not be ignored. They will not be overlooked. And they will not certainly be thrown under the bus with the old attitude, well, they got to vote for us. Where, where else will they go? Well, we're showing you where else we'll go. We'll start another party and we'll go there. So, you know, it's a way to, to um, uh, flip the bird to those who think they're smarter than you, flip the bird towards those who think that you don't know anything, that... You know, your opinion doesn't matter. And all of this is predicated on, on the fact that Patrick Brown just simply stomped on the democratic process when it came to um, electing uh, people to run and carry the banner in, at the grassroots level instead of letting the grassroots uh, actually do that themselves and then just whoever the, that uh, riding association sent to uh, Patrick Brown, uh, he said, nope, nope. Uh, if there's social conservatives, I don't want them. And if you don't get me the right guy, I'll, I'll handpick my own and I'll make sure they win. And he's done that 65 times. So after a little while, you go, well, if that's the way you want to play it, fine. There's going to be a price for that. Because as it stands now, no matter which one we elect, win or brown, there will be no difference. There will be no change. And that's the part that we have to drive home. Um, so... By all means, go to that web, go to that link, um, and yes, by all means, share it, share it. If you're if you're there, share it, put it on your Facebook wall, encourage other people to do it. Let's spread the word about this because it's a very important thing. It's something that I think can make a big difference in the upcoming election. How big? I don't know. I don't have a crystal ball, but I do know it's going to make somebody 
wish they made it, might have taken us a little more seriously, but by then, it'll be too late. All right, time for a quick commercial break. We'll be back with more right after this. EMM Group is the authorized IntegraSpec distributor for the greater Ottawa area, providing technically advanced insulated concrete farms. The design virtually eliminates waste while providing the ultimate energy-efficient, quiet homes and structures. With over 40 years' experience in the concrete industry, EMM offers the best product to homeowners and contractors. Canadian-made IntegraSpec is now being used worldwide. More info can be found at IntegraSpec.com. Don't consider building any other way. Call your ICF specialist, 613-835-2600. For 17 years, I've been taking my cars to Irwin's Automotion. 17 years ago, Irwin was renting space on the corner of Bank and Heron. His encyclopedic knowledge of all things mechanical and his no-bull honesty has resulted in his second move. He now operates a huge facility on Cleopatra, eight bays and an expert staff that operate all in the same wavelength. Honesty, integrity, try to save the customers some money and headaches, but fix it right the first time. Irwin's Automotion, 34, Cleopatra. Tell them Council sent you. That'll make them smile. Okay, thanks for staying with me, folks. Uh, there's plenty of stuff left on the table. If you want to call me, by the way, I, should, I haven't given out the numbers in a little while. It's 343-700-4390-844-562-4766. That's 343-700-4390-844-562-4766. Like I said, there's all kinds of stuff. There's more to this story out of Halifax about Lord Cornwallis. I can't remember whether we talked about this last week or not. Let me see what the date of this is. Because uh, I know there was a lot of fury, uh, furor over it. Uh, 15 July is when this was published. Um, on Facebook. But sometimes I forget what I talked about last week and what I didn't. So if I've been over this, then I apologize. But I'm getting mighty fed up of having people tell me that history is offensive. I just had enough of it. It's not offensive. It's history. Look, there's times when, uh, let's take the Second World War, because I got into this with uh, somebody on Facebook, said, you know, well, should we not have taken down the statues of Hitler? Well, no, no, no. The, the thing is, it's called living memory. If during a war, uh, you know, there's monuments to the dictator, then yes, by all means, knock them down. You know, you're, it's not like you're going to forget who these people were. Okay, there's going to be enough historical evidence to go along with that. When Harper apologized to the Chinese about the head tax, it made sense because the people he was apologizing to were the direct victims of it. They were still alive, or at least a lot of them were. Or some, I should say. I don't know what the actual numbers were. But the point is, there were people alive who suffered under that head, head tax. So on behalf of the government of Canada, he apologized for the head tax to the people who were actually victims of it. That makes sense to me. But once both sides of the issue, once both sides of the, of the uh, let's, for lack of a better phrase, call it the discussion, are no longer alive, then it becomes static history. And there's nothing you can do to change it, nor should you. 
So the statue of Lord Cornwallis in Cornwall in Cornwallis, Lord Cornwallis in Halifax. Yeah, the guy wasn't the look. He was a man. Everybody's saying, well, he had. Or a lot of the natives are saying he ordered scouts to be taken to the Micmac. Yes, nobody's denying that. But the natives are taking scalps too. Do you think Tecumseh didn't take any scalps when he's fighting with Brock? Do you think that the Indians who fought with the French against the American uh, settlers in the Ohio Valley didn't take scalps? Why is it only wrong when Lord Cornwallis does it? I'm not saying it's right, but I'm saying this double standard. If you look, are we talking about taking taking down statues of of um, um, the Marquis de Montcalm? You know, he had military campaigns into the wilderness, and guess what? He killed natives, and guess what? Some of them suffered a scalping. And he used other natives to do it too, by the way. And if you doubt me, I, one guy said, "You well, you you have no evidence. You can't name five of these natives." Do some reading. There's a great series of books out there, if you can find them. They were printed in 1884, written by a guy called Packham. I can't remember his first name, but it's called Montcalm and Wolf. There's two volumes, and I've read them, and I'm in the middle of reading them again, and there's several things that come out at you. One, that period of history between, let's say, the 1640s, when Quebec really got serious about uh, Quebec City, when they established Quebec City in in uh, on the north shore of, of the uh, of the St. Lawrence River, uh, and right through to Confederation and beyond, uh, there was a lot of violence. It was not a peaceful time. There were wars all the time. Now they weren't of the same scale as the European wars that were going on, but they to the combatants they were wars no, no different than any other. And barbarity was was part of it. I mean, they did some pretty terrible things to each other. The Iroquois wiped out the Huron. Okay, completely wiped it out. So when you bring that up, they go, well, what do, all of a sudden they got nothing to say. Because genocide's wrong no matter who does it, right? So when they're guilty of it, they don't want to talk about it. Because that means they can't play the victim card. Because they were the, if you want to go back 268 years to when Lord Cornwallis issued this edict about bring me scalps, they were just as guilty as he is. So this ongoing statue uh, debate uh, is just absolutely driving me crazy because it's trying to... You're using modern sensi- sensi- uh, sensitivities to judge something you have no historical context to base it on. We can't sit here and judge somebody who hasn't been at above room temperature for over 260 years. We don't even know what the we, we have no idea of what living conditions were like. We have no idea of what the politics of the day were like. We have no idea what the world was like. Yeah, there's some, you can do some reading and get a, a sampling of it, but unless you were there, you know, unless like we can judge what happened in World War II, because our fa- our grandfathers and our grand and you know that we're only one generation removed from that. And to a lesser extent, World War I, although those people have all passed on. Okay, But the record-keeping of those eras was much better than it was in 1749. Okay, they just, they, just, they just didn't have the ability to record things the way that we do now. So we're sitting here in our armchairs judging people who have been dead for nearly three centuries 
and saying they don't deserve a statue. And I find it offensive that that statue is still there. That's absolutely insane. It's nothing but revisionist history, and I have had it up to my eyeballs with it. Now, they, what they did was they covered the statue. Let's see if I can find the story here. No, that's Trudeau spending. Who cares? Um, they found um, – they covered the statue with a black tarp during the day. Oh, here it is. Okay. Uh, so there's a picture of, of the statue covered in a black tarp. And the caption under the picture reads this. Protesters who pledged to remove a statue from Halifax's controversial founder Saturday said they came away victorious after the monument to Edward Cornwallis was covered. Well, that only lasts a few hours. And then they covered it with an orange tarp. But you know something? It just bothers me because the only time they ever apply this logic is when they want to play the victim card when it, it makes British history look bad because we descend from we are descendants of the British, uh, you know, um, in, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? We're British colonists. We draw uh, a lot all of our legal systems, all of our methods of governance, uh, the uh, idea of um, peace, order, and good governance all comes from down to us from our British heritage, and they are doing everything they can to stomp that into the ground even though it's one of the most successful uh, methods of governance ever conceived by the mind of man. And they stomp all over it. Now, uh, let's see. Here's what uh, one of the organizers um, had to say. Uh, let's see. One of the organizers of the event, Elizabeth Marshall of Eskasani First Nation in Cape Breton, Nova Scotia, said it was moving to see the support from the crowd and the municipality. This had to be one of the most joyous days I've experienced in a long, long time. I never anticipated we would start a new relationship with the settler peoples because we've always been excluded from everything. Only because you wanted to be. Only because you wanted to be. Now, was there racism? Absolutely. Was there, you know, situations where um, people didn't treat the natives very well? Of course there were. No, but I'm not trying to change the history. But you can't tell me that a native in today's world, in Canada, doesn't have even more opportunities than a lot of other people do. The government bends over backwards to give them money for education, provide them with medical care, allow them to live where nobody, like I'm thinking of Attawapiskat for one thing. What is that reserve still doing there? Floods all the time. It's a, it's a hellhole. And yet they don't want to leave because it's their traditional hunting grounds. Okay, put a floating camp in and fly in there when during hunting season. Other than that, get the hell out. Because it's not fit for human habitation. It's not that we don't care about your culture, but we don't want to see kids getting sick because of mold in houses that are rat traps. So they play this card all the time. But it's because, in a lot of cases, it's because they want it that way. Because if they, can't, if, if they can't hold us accountable for things that happened 268 years ago, the gravy train dries up. And that's what they're afraid of. So they keep making more and more outrageous demands. This is such a tactic of the left, and they do it all the time. If you go, let's take trade unions as an example. You go back to trade unions, uh, Henry Ford and the Model T and, you know, all this stuff. There was a time when it was absolutely necessary for trade unions to come into existence to protect the physical safety of the workers in the plant. I'm not arguing that for a second. To put an end to things like child labor, 
there was a lot of good things done in the early days because of unions. I don't deny that for a second. As a matter of fact, I applaud them for that. Nobody wants to see eight and nine-year-olds running around cotton mills risking life and limb to gather up lint. That's the kind of thing that happened in England during the, the Industrial Revolution because they were small and they could get under the machinery. But if the machinery got a hold of them, they suffered. If they weren't killed outright, the, 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 the damage was grievous and the medical care was next to nothing. So there were some very legitimate claims, and they put an end to that. I'm not denying that. But we've come a long way since then. And the need for unions in that sense, what happens now is they have nothing left to barter for. There's nothing really pressing that they have to have. It's all nothing but wages now. It's part of the reason why the automotive industry took a big hit was the cost of labor, although Buzz Hargrove would tell you everything but that. But the bottom line is you have uh, cases where an organization might even start out with really good causes. But an organization, when it first starts with a great altruistic cause, let's say it achieves that goal, okay? Now what? You have this organization that's got offices, it's got employees, they've raised millions of dollars in the fight for to cure whatever or to solve whatever, and they get they achieve their goal. Now what do they do? Well, they should fold up their tent and go home. The issue has been solved. They should have worked themselves out of a job. But people are interesting creatures. Once they get used to an income, once they get used to being invited to all the you know high society events because they're the head of this or the head of that, they begin to look around and say, hmm, what else needs fixing? And that might work the second time where they say, well, okay, there's the next cause and off they go. They get that solved and go, hmm, what do we do now? Well, now they're running out of options because there's not many things left that really deserve the kind of attention they're used to giving it. But they get more radical, and they start making more ludicrous claims. I remember one of the last strikes that GM went on before the big uh, shakeup, if I can put it that way. One of the demands by the, U the um, UAW uh, down in Windsor, well, the strike was, across, uh, was against GM. It was uh, a company-wide strike. So UAW, CAW, swap the letter out as you want to. But one of the demands was, wasn't necessarily for more vacation time or better, you know, more job security. Um, they wanted Viagra. That's what one of the demands was. They wanted to have access to Viagra. If that's all you got left to negotiate for, now, I'll, I'll tell you a quick story about uh, I was in a, a, in the transmission plant in, um, in, uh, on Tecumseh Road in Windsor back in the 90s when I was still driving a tractor-trailer. Uh, I was driving for a company that shuttled parts around the city and sometimes into Michigan back and forth. You know, and there was just always busy, busy, busy. And uh, they told me to take a, a, a loaded trailer down to the GM transmission plant on Tecumseh Road, drop it, or no, not drop it. They wanted the trailer back because they needed it. So don't unhook, get it unloaded, bring it back to the yard. Simple instructions, right? So off I go. I get out there, back the trailer in, and it took me 45 minutes. And I'm not making this up. 45 minutes to find a living, breathing human being in that plant. And it was the middle of the day. Now, I don't know what day it was, but it was the middle of a work week. And I'm walking around, I'm walking around. Hello? 
you could have fired a cannon through that place and not hit a soul. Until I found one guy with his feet up on a desk reading the paper. And I said, excuse me. And he curled the edge of the paper down. He goes, what do you want? I said, well, I'm here from Wolverine. I need that uh, trailer unloaded. And they want it back in the yard. So if you don't mind, you know, I'm trying to be nice about it. I've got no bones with this guy. So why be, why be you know, silly about it? And I said, can you unload my trailer for me? He said, I've unloaded my trailer in a half. The next shift don't come on for another two hours. You'll have to wait till then. I said, well, can't you get somebody else? I mean, you know, trailer and a half, really? And he said, nope, nope, nobody else available. You just have to wait. And I said, oh, well, if that's the case, I'll just jump on the jitney and do it myself. I won't bother you. And he dropped his paper, and he looked at me straight in the eye. And he said, if you put one foot on that jitney, I will call a wildcat strike, and we will walk out of this plant, and we'll close it down. And your boss is going to have to decide whether he fights this or fires you and gets us back to work. And you wonder why I have issues with, 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 um, with, with unions. It's that kind of mentality that just drives me crazy. The whole thing. So I ended up, far as I know, that trailer's still there because I called the yard and said, look, don't bother. Just drop the trailer and come back to the yard. But that's the kind of mentality that just makes me crazy. You know, this kind of stuff that you'll, you just... What? Really? Take you 10, 15 minutes. You're not doing anything anyway. You're just sitting reading the paper. Get off your butt and go get on the jitney. It's not like you have to cart them off by hand. This isn't a heavy labor kind of job. And the guy had been there, obviously, for 35 years or whatever. So it wasn't a big deal. <sighs> anyway, so that's why when I see these kind of organizations and the demands they make and how they continuously creep up, you see them across the board, like you, with with a lot of the native protesters. And I'm not painting every native with a. I'm trying not to paint with too broad a brush here. That's not what I'm saying. I am saying that these guys, uh, the ones who do this, are playing the victim card because there's money in it, and they don't want to kill the gravy train. So they'll come out and kick up a stink and find some stupid thing to protest about. All right, we've been offended, blah, blah, blah. And the Canadian public is so polite and so unoffensive. They go, oh, okay, okay, okay. We'll give you what you want. We'll take down the statue. We'll erase our own history. Happens all the time, and here we are again. All right. I got to play a commercial. I'll be back with more right after this. Respect distributor for the greater Ottawa area, providing technically advanced insulated concrete farms. The design virtually eliminates waste while providing the ultimate energy efficient, quiet homes and structures. With over 40 years' experience in the concrete industry, EMM offers the best product to homeowners and contractors. Canadian made Integraspec is now being used worldwide. More info can be found at Integraspec.com. Don't consider building any other way. Call your ICF specialist, 613 835 2600. Ron Barr, General Manager and CEO of the Greater Ottawa Truckers Association, the voice of independent truckers in the Ottawa area and proud supporters of Nick at Night. Every day we go to work to help build a better eastern Ontario, and safety is our top priority. Every start of the shift, our drivers perform inspections on their truck, so we ensure that our drivers go home to their families each night, and you, the public, have confidence that the big truck beside you is safe. 
If you have any issues relating to any size truck, I encourage you to contact me at 613-738-1639. Let's build a better, fatality-free Ottawa together. share with you a rather humorous story because <laughs> it's called a stunning senior moment maybe some of you have seen it on Facebook but I think it's worth sharing for those of you who haven't heard it yet because this really kind of sums things up nicely a self-important college freshman walking along the beach took it upon himself to explain to a senior citizen resting on the steps why it was impossible for the older generation to understand his you grew up in a different world, actually almost a primitive one, the student said, loud enough for others to hear. The young people of today grew up with television, jet planes, space travel, man walking on the moon. We have nuclear energy, ships and cell phones, computers with light speed, and many more. After a brief silence, the senior citizen responded as follows. You're right, son. We didn't have those things when you were young, so we invented them. Now, you arrogant little craphead, what are you doing for the next generation? The applause was amazing. <laughs> You know, I, I, it, that, <laughs> people never, it's funny. I, this is one of the reasons why I think the voting rate, now it'll never happen. I'm under no illusions. But I, if it was up to me, I'd raise the voting age to 30. And the reason is because people like in this story, this young college freshman, <laughs> excuse me, <coughs> What are they, early 20s? I've developed a favorite saying. When you run into some uh, little twerp who thinks he's a whole lot smarter than you are, let's say they're, you know, 19 or 20 years old, all you have to do is say, look at them and say, listen, kid, 10 years ago you were 10. You don't know nothing. I think I got stole that from Jordan Peterson. But he's right, you know. <laughs> Compared to somebody who's 45, 55, 65, 70 years old, you don't know nothing. You haven't even begun to figure out what life is about yet, never mind have any ability to analyze it and understand it. So anyway, but the, 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 the whole attitude here is that these kids think that everything just existed. You know, they weren't there before there was... I remember my great-grandfather, um, Midos, out of Rus Ruscombe, um, was a blacksmith and uh, ran a towing business for years during the 30s and 40s. And his telephone, I can still remember seeing it on the wall as a child, was the old crank style. You know, you see him in the movie where you, you take the receiver, you put it to your ear, and you lean into this black, into this wooden box with a microphone sticking out of the end of it, and you crank it, and you say, Operator, operator, can I have three ring two, please? And the operator would plug you in, and everybody in town would listen. Okay, because they'd heard the, the phone ring. I remember that. Uh, but kids today, I try to explain that to my kids. And they just look at me like, you did what? They have no concept. How many of them even know what a cassette tape is? You know, how, it's just they have no sense of history, no sense that people before them laid the foundation for everything this kid's talking about. So I just, when I read that, I had to share it with you because it's just absolutely, oh, 
it was funny. I got a laugh out of it, to put it mildly. I, uh, <laughs> oh, Stephanie, unions are a tool of the devil. Are a tool of the devil in today's world. And yes, the voting age should be thirty at least. Yeah, uh, one of the reasons why um, people like Jack, well, Jack, Jack, um, uh, the NDP leader there. I can't think of his last name. Jack, uh, Mad Jack. He wanted to lower the age was because kids are a lot more malleable at that age, and they're full of emotion, but they don't have any wisdom, even if they're smart. You know, it's smarts isn't enough. You have to have wisdom is the ability to use your smarts to dissect and understand the intelligence that your brain gathers is the way that I put it. Now, whether that's right or not, that's neither here nor there. All right, so... There was a couple other things I wanted to get into before the show ends. Let's see. There was that one. Oh, come on. This computer, I'm telling you, it's time for a new laptop, I think. Well, that's what i got to do. Okay. Bear with me just another second here. And we did that. Uh, how much time? Have, oh, you would be able to hear it anyway. There's a great clip on, um, on my Facebook page called The Inconvenient Truth About the Democratic Party. And, oh, did the lefties on the page go crazy over this one. Uh, they called it all kinds of things except accurate. And yet, at the same time, um, it's exactly what happened. And when you find out things like, as an example, did you know that the Democratic Party formed the Ku Klux Klan? And they did it to, make sh to intimidate uh, black men who were given the right to vote not to vote Republican, because most of them were. And they fought every single civil, uh, civil rights movement um, um, law that came along right up until the 1960s. That's, I mean, it, you, you, pick, you pick the fight, and they were on the other side every single time. So this video, if you find it, it's from Prager University, and um, it's, I have the link there. Have a look at it. And um, there's another one underneath that runs about seven minutes long because it, this turned into quite a discussion on Facebook. But uh, RB Mac put up a, um, a little uh, video of two automated uh, computer-generated people having an argument in monotone, which is a great way to do it, by the way. I really, I really like that I idea because then you take all the emotion out of it and just listen to the logic of, the, of each side. And it's called How Liberals Argue. That's worth watching, too. I'll tell you. Uh, I got quite a giggle out of that. Uh, let's see. Oh, yeah, we did the, the car thing, global warming. Oh, yes. I forgot about this one. This is why I like to have this stuff handy. Now, there's, you know that Hillary Clinton's been investigated, is being investigated uh, for missing emails, right? Well... It turns out that the person doing the inv in, uh, uh, investigating was found dead with a plastic bag over his head and a, a suicide note beside him. And let's see, let me just jump in here. Someone being murdered in the course of a robbery where nothing was taken, even though much easy access to wealth was on the victim's person, is one example. Or, and this is where it gets interesting, a suicide note which specifically states the following. No foul play whatsoever was to blame. 
Clearly, the idea was to signal anyone connected to any given crime family that an attempt to betray the nature of the family's crimes and deceptions to the general public would have, would have lethal consequences. And it's all about the investigator. That's what happened to this investigator. They found him dead with a plastic bag over his head and that note beside him. Uh, uh, no foul play whatsoever was to, was to blame. Okay, first of all, if you're going to commit suicide, and don't get me I'm not trying to trivialize suicide by any stretch, but why would you write a note that says, oh, by the way, nobody else is guilty? You know, there's no foul play in this whatsoever. That's not what, that's, I don't think that's how your, what your mindset is. And isn't it, this isn't the first person, um, this isn't the first person to perish um, who had links to the Clintons. I remember a long time ago when the Clintons were in the White House, there was a guy called Craig Livingston. And I think he met an untimely death too, and nobody could remember who hired him. And that was almost a little jingle. Who hired Craig Livingston? Who hired Craig Livingston? And Rush Limbaugh had a field day with it because they never would answer that question. Hillary said, well, I don't know. You'd have to talk to Bill. Bill said, I don't know. You'd have to talk to Hillary. And it kept going around and around in a circle like that. And we never did find out. This isn't, and that's not the only case. But anyway, this is what happens when you have people, um, you know, it should raise very serious questions in your mind at least. That there's something really wrong here. Um, you know, from what I understand, and I've never read a, read a real suicide note. I've never been, uh, you know, uh, I've never had the un, unfortunate circumstance to be that directly involved in in that kind of a scenario. But from what I understand, you know, they try to explain, uh, you know, you know what their mind, what's going through their mind, and why they did this, and you know that kind of thing. Um, but they don't. They don't say, by the way, there was no foul play involved. Um, maybe there's another example out there of that. I don't know. I'm no expert in this area, but it does certainly strike a very interesting chord, doesn't it? I thought so, too. So in the last couple of minutes of the show here, I want to let you know that we are going to continue to work on this um, idea of being able to take phone calls over Facebook. And I don't want to beat a dead horse, but the idea is so that both people online and people on Facebook can both call in. You can hear each other and be one big happy family um, because that's what it, this is all about. I love having conversations with you people. It's a lot of fun, um, whether it be on, on even here in the contents, uh, comments. Uh, as an example, Douglas says, do not wipe out art. Let the snowflakes erect snowflakes of their times. Yeah, okay. Nobody said you couldn't put up another statue. Although I will say this, if you want to take down Cornwallis, all right, fine. Take down the one of Tecumseh. Take down the one of Tecumseh here on on Parliament Hill by the War Memorial. Good luck with that. Yeah, unless you're willing to make that trade, I ain't interested. Because that knife cuts both ways. All right, that pretty much wraps it up for me tonight. Uh, thank you all very much for participating. It's been a lot of fun, and uh, we're really down to just that last little technical glitch. Uh, that'll allow us to be able to uh, include everybody in the conversation, and uh, I wish you all uh, a good night. And uh, as we always say around here, we'll be caddy toss at more Bayos CBS. Good evening. God bless. Don't let anything disturb your peace. And may you have a fair wind and a following sea. All the money that I had, 
I spent it in good company And all the harm I've ever done Alas, it was to none but me And all I've done for want of wit To memory now I can't recall So fill to me the parting glass Good night and joy be to you all. So fill to me the parting glass and drink a health whatever befalls. Then gently rise and softly call. Good night and joy be to you all. Of all the comrades that it I had, they're sorry for my going away. And all the sweethearts that e'er I had, they'd wish me one more day to stay. But since it fell into my lot That I should rise and you should not I'll gently rise and softly call Good night and joy be to you all Fill to me the parting glass and drink a I'm sick.